Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Michelle Wilgen is the author of Wine People, a novel. This is a Zivi Books title, and I am so excited about it. Lee Newman, who co-founded Zivi Books with me originally, acquired this book and has known Michelle for a long time, as we discussed in the episode. And we just cannot be more thrilled to have it be released into the world. It was already picked by Oprah as one of the best books of summer, which is amazing. Michelle Wilgen is the author of the novels You're Not You, adapted into a feature film starring Hilary Swank and Emmy Rossum. 
but not for long, and bread and butter. She is the editor of the anthology Food and Booze. Wildren's award-winning reviews, essays, and stories have appeared in publications including the New York Times Book Review, Modern Love Column, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, RealSimple.com, Salon.com, Best Food Writing, Best New American Voices, Tri-Quarterly, Story Quarterly, and elsewhere. Formerly executive editor of Tin House, Wildren is now a freelance editor and co-founder with novelist Susanna Daniel of the Madison Writers Studio. Check out all sorts of behind-the-scenes information on our website. Learn about Michelle. Go on tour with her. She's doing so many fabulous events, and that includes our Zubi retreat, which is happening in Solvang, California. In celebration of wine people and all of our books, we are partnering with Moleskin. You can use code Zibby to get free personalization and take 15% off of journals and notebooks and everything else they have to offer. Use code Zibby for 15% off. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, especially as a Zibby Books author for your novel, Wine People. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So Michelle, can you tell listeners what your book is about? Absolutely. So Wine People is about two women in the wine importing business. And they start off as colleagues and kind of rivals and slowly become allies and then friends and even partners, business partners, I should say. And um, it is about ambition and it's about a difficult kind of male dominated workplace, but it's also about travel and about all the things that keep people coming back to the wine business over and over again, which is, you know, the beautiful places and the incredible food and the conviviality of, you know, routinely just sitting down with other people and paying attention to the the wine that somebody has labored to make before you. How did you become so interested in this industry? When I was in college, I think I got really interested in food and wine and I wanted to write about it, but I knew when I tried to write about it, I just had no idea what I was even talking about. And so I thought, well, I know a lot of people will like go travel around the world for a year or two and I didn't have that option. So I said, I'm just going to go get a job at the best restaurant I can and I'm going to hope that they teach me more about food and wine. And it actually worked. So I went to a restaurant called L'Etoile, which is still around. And it's won James Beard Awards. And the chef at the time was considered like the Alice Waters of the Midwest. And I got a job as a back waiter. And they really did expect us to learn about the food and about the wine and about dining and all that good stuff. And in the course of working there, I encountered things like wine dinners, which is, you know, where they have the winemaker come and they have a whole meal that is designed around showcasing the wines. So that was a really fascinating thing for me to start to think about the people who actually made the product. And also that was where I first encountered somebody whose job was to import the wine. And so all of that just sort of has stayed in my head for like 20 years. Wow. And this, of course, is not your first book, right? So tell me about what happened in your life from when you worked at the restaurant, like basically until now in terms of writing and and food and wine and, and all of and the whole journey to getting here. Yeah. So after I left the restaurant, I went to grad school and, you know, got my MFA in fiction and all that good stuff and started to work at a literary journal called Tin House. And I took over the food and drink writing that they had there that was like literary food and drink. And so that was really wonderful because I got to focus on editing food and drink writing and it got me thinking about my own. So I did some of that as well. And it just always stayed in my head and was always a thread that came up in my first novel, my second novel, my third novel. And at some point, maybe I'll write about something else, but I just still love <laughs> how I love how you can use that to talk about people and how, you know, you can write about a tense meal or a beautiful meal or a really terrible one. And they all are so revealing. So it's one of my favorite tools, basically. And 
maybe the most recent one that really dug into it was Bread and Butter, which was my third book. And that was actually about three brothers in the restaurant industry. So that was pretty direct. Wow. What is the secret to writing well about food? And this is such a broad question, but you know, how much detail do you go into? Which parts of the meal are the most important? And how do you make sure you're not like totally distracting the reader? It's the same thing you would get asked really for like historical fiction. Like, how do you make sure you're not overwhelming the reader with unnecessary facts and da da da? But like, but really with food and wine writing, like what are some of the things that you keep in mind the most? And that even when you're editing, you like look out for do's and don'ts type of thing. I think, I mean, the biggest thing is just paying attention, right? That if you really are looking at what you are eating, you start to notice all the little details. Like one of the sensory exercises I give students sometimes is I'll say like, you know, if you are describing a donut, right? You can tell that like, it's got all these different textures and usually the the frosting has a slightly different little crust on the top and then it's creamy inside. Like we see all of this. We just have to train ourselves to notice it. And in the same way as with historical fiction, you want to give the details that actually serve the moment, serve the story. If every single meal gets a page of description, even I will start to wonder if maybe we could cut back, even though invariably I'm happy to have more food description than other people are. But ideally, that's kind of the rubric is like, is it revealing something about the person who made it or the way that people are eating it? Or is it a meal that is you know, different than another meal would be. And all of that can really help. So just paying attention and making sure you have a reason for it. And tell me more about Ren and Thessaly and where they came from. So Ren is from Wisconsin and she grew up in kind of a a difficult childhood. She had a father who never really got sober. And then her mom went back to nursing school and raised her single-handedly. And she just happened to encounter the restaurant business a little bit similar to me, but, you know, kind of different, but she fell in love with it the way I also fell in love with it. And so she winds up in New York through that restaurant business connections. She got a job at a wine importer. And so she is definitely one of those people with some imposter syndrome who feels like, I'm not really sure I should be here. I don't necessarily fit in with these other people who are really well-educated or, you know, they may have grown up traveling and she did not do that. So she is always seeking some kind of like safety in the form of her own expertise. You know, she really takes responsibility for it. And Thessaly is kind of the opposite. You know, she grew up the daughter of some grape growers in Sonoma, and she grew up in that winemaking world, doing the travel, doing the dining. And so she's perfectly comfortable in that world, but she's not entirely sure that she can do what her parents once did. And so that is kind of the ongoing source of uncertainty for her. Where did they come from in your own consciousness? Like when you set out to write this novel, was it the two women? Like what was the germ of the idea for you? The germ of the idea originally was that I just knew that the wine importing business was really interesting. And I wanted to find out about the world before I had any idea what the story was going to be. So I just started talking to people. And I was able to turn to a good friend of mine, actually from my late 12 days, who had gone to work for an importer and asked her about 6,000 questions or so. And I took a lot of her life story and sort of put it into Wren's in different ways. And she's one of those people who, you know, sometimes you ask people questions for research and they just aren't on the same wavelength. They don't notice the same things. They're not interested in what you're interested in. And that was not the case. This was like (laughs) anything I wanted to ask my friend, she was right there and had these wonderful, you know, stories and memories that I could use. But I didn't want to just have her kind of walking around because it wasn't interesting enough. And so I wanted kind of a, a foil for her. And one of the people that through Friends of Friends I had come across was a uh, winemaker named Jasmine Hirsch, who actually is in Sonoma, and she has a very respected grape-growing family. And she was the one who said, let's make wine. Um, And so now they make these beautiful, I think they make Pinot. 
these beautiful wines. And just the brief ways that she talked about growing up in this world and about her family, I was like, oh, that's that's who I want this other person to be. And so I have no idea if this woman has anything whatsoever in common with Cecily beyond that. She probably doesn't because I made her up, but that's where the idea came from. Interesting. For those who don't know the difference between necessarily the wine importing business versus distribute, like where does it fall in the whole spectrum for just the recreational wine drinker? Yeah. I mean, you know, the recreational wine drinker doesn't have to think about any of this if they don't want to, obviously, but it's, it's actually a little bit like publishing in a way. So because somebody out there is producing the product, you know, the same way, like a writer, we write a book and we just hope somebody will love it. Somebody out there is growing the grapes and making wine and that's their product. And then the importer is the one who goes around the world to their various regions and tastes each new vintage and, you know, sees how the past vintages are aging and all of that stuff and decides which things are going to serve their market. And so they literally just pay to get it all brought over. And then it is their job or a distributor's job to go around and sell it. And so then you have all of these people going to the different venues, like the stores and the um, the restaurants and trying to sell all of the, the different wines in that book. But I think of the importers as being like publishers or like agents, because they're the ones who are kind of saying, here's this beautiful thing. I understand it. I think if I explain to you why it is special and I find the right people for it, you're going to love it. Wow. So there's a, a new market opportunity for frustrated agents to become wine importers. That's right. They can all go into the wine business. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. How hard can it be? <laughs> what is your own personal relationship with wine? I like I like almost everything because it kind of just depends like what time of year is it and what are we eating and all of that good stuff. But I think like the go-to things that I especially love when I went to the restaurant business, I had no idea that you could just order a glass of champagne to start any old meal. And I was like, well, that's a lifestyle I want. So now I want champagne to be in my life, regardless of whether it's a special day or not. I love like a really kind of bright, citrusy white, but I love them all, honestly. And if anything, I spend a lot of time just trying not to overdo it because I could drink wine every night. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. Like we, we don't really have the capacity to be drinking a couple glasses of wine a night. So I try to be a little bit more abstemious about it and really enjoy it when I do have it. Well, Ren and Thessaly both come into the book with their own series of loss or complicated relationships and their own families and everything. When you were crafting that, did you bring in any of your own stuff to these characters? I know the friends for the background, but in terms of, you know, family relationships or any, any of that, what, if anything, did you take from your own life? I feel like a lot of times I take, you know, they all have parts of me, right? And what I think it breaks down to is they often have my insecurity parts, you know, the things that I'm not so great with. And then I give them the things that I wish I had more of. So <laughs> I love like Ren's, you know, really steely determination and ambition. I just love that about her. And I feel like she is tougher and more more intense about it, I guess, than maybe I am. And with Thessaly, I just love her confidence. You know, I feel like she can walk into any room and sort of hold her own and she doesn't mind arguing with people and she can sell. And so that's something that I love about her. But I understand her insecurity about, can I do the things that I saw other people do? Do I really have it in me? So I understand anything that makes these two uncertain or not sure if they can move forward. Like I completely identify with that. What are your biggest insecurities, would you say? Oh, darn. I, I opened the door for that one. And of course, I shouldn't see yeah, that coming. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think just all the normal things of like, am I am I good enough at what I do? You know, do I, do I write the books as well as I want them to be written? Am I as good an editor as I want to be? Just all of all of the normal things that I think we do. And then after a while, I'm usually like, okay, no, you, you did this well. You did your best and you've got to feel confident in it. And so then I feel better, you know. That's true. That's a good, that's a good framework. 
<laughs> it, it, it went okay. You know, I'm going to go yeah. with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Who were some of the influences for you in wine and food and wine writing and editing? And do you like people like Ruth Reichel, who, you know, famously writes in that world or more the chefs writing about their own experiences or all of the above? Or what do you like? I do kind of like all of the above, but I think I started with um, MFK Fisher. Have you ever read anything by her? Yeah. So she like kind of created food writing the way that a lot of us think about it nowadays, because she would talk about food as a way to tell a human story, you know, rather than recipes. And so she was the one I really kind of, who sort of blew my mind, you know, when I first read her. And then I also, I love Lori Coleman, who has been dead for decades and we're still reading her and still reissuing her books because, you know, she wrote about food in fiction and nonfiction in this really like she's passionate about it. She knows a great deal about it and she's very precise, but she has a lot of warmth and a lot of wit in the way that she approaches all of it. And so I really love that about her. And um, one of my other sort of seminal food texts is Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones and Butter, which I don't know if you read it, but they have that beginning where she talks about like the lamb roast and she has this beautiful passage about sitting on her mother's lap after dinner that I just think is is one of the best things I've I've ever read. And I return to it all the time. Are you a rereader? Yes. You can tell if I didn't love something, if I'm like, I only read it once. Oh, wow. I can't get away with that. (laughs) It doesn't happen as much now as it used to be. Yeah. (laughs) What are you working on now? Are you working on a new book? I'm kind of like, it feels like I'm sort of putting the layers on it, but I'm starting, yeah, the beginnings of a new book and figuring out, I'm I'm at that stage, like I described with Ren and Desley, where like, what are the oppositions going to be? Who, what's causing trouble for these people? So it's really early on, but I'm enjoying just thinking like, where do I want to set this? What's going on with them? You know, so I think it's going to be taking place in the wellness industry and also more like the actual neurological, like well-being research kind of thing. I sort of want those two oppositions talking to each other. Interesting. I love how you go at it as like what you want to learn. That's so great. It's a unique way to like approach each book. What do I want to know more about? And then just be like, okay, I'm just figure this out and then I'll make a story around it. I know it sounds obvious, but... No, but yeah, it's uh, like the research thing is kind of, that developed 
along the way in my career. I don't know that I started with it, but then I discovered that the kind of research I love to do is where you just talk to people and ask them about their lives and what they do. And, you know, when they walk into their office, what's the first thing they do and whatever it might be. And I end up finding a lot in that. It turns out to be a really fun process for me. Huh. What are the things most people do first thing in the office? Well, it depends on what the, the job is. But like my first book was about a young woman who takes a job as a caregiver for a woman with ALS. And so I had a friend who had done that. And I said, okay, so when you get to her house, like what are the first things you do? Because I think that's what helps a fiction writer the most is we have to be able to picture our character in a room and know what they are going to do before we can figure out all the other stuff that's really crucial. You have to have this comfort in the world. So often that's where I start is like day to day. Like, how do you spend your time? And tell listeners about your all your other books. Yeah. So, well, You're Not You was about a college student who gets a job as a caregiver for a woman with ALS, and she becomes really involved in her life and in her marriage and basically um, is kind of transformed by this, this period of, of life with her. My second book was called But Not For Long, and that was about a bunch of people living in a co-op in Madison, Wisconsin, and basically fearing that the world might be ending, but they're not entirely sure. Basically, it starts with a blackout, and there's no real explanation for the blackout, and so it just kind of keeps on going on. And then the third one was about three brothers in the restaurant industry. And that was really fun because I made up a whole city for them. And I loved just being able to invent it. You know, that was a really enjoyable thing. And their uh, two brothers own a successful restaurant and their younger brother comes home and wants them to work with him. And so it's about all of them sort of transforming their relationships with each other. And then, of course, there's this one, which is about the, the two women in the wine industry. Have you been watching The Bear? Yes. I love it. Have you been watching? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Have you seen all of season two? I haven't. Actually, it was Megan Weard and Jarvis, one of the Mm -hmm. authors who, I don't know why everybody else had told me about it, but when she was like, I'm dying over this season, I don't know. I just had to watch it. I haven't gotten to season two yet, but I'm working my way there quickly, but it's intense. It is. And I'm only partway through it, but it's, it's really true. Like all these people were like, oh, they, they got the restaurant industry. They know what it feels like. They just have it. It just feels fully inhabited. And it's so true. Yeah. They just, it feels just dead on. Maybe there's some collaboration. That would be nice. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think the, the bear also speaks to like the fragmented sort of attention, the lack of attention spans that we all have right now. Cause it is so immersive. Like you yeah. cannot be distracted watching this. It's like you're hitting, you're literally like being hit over the head with a frying pan. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm watching. I hear it. Yeah. And I watch it on the treadmill too. So that's kind of perfect because time flies and you just don't even notice. And you're like, oh, that's right. It's, it's been an hour. Oh, that's smart. I should work out. But anyway, okay. Good, good reminder. Don't think about that. But I can tell you that the reason I started using the treadmill was because I would watch like old Law & Order reruns on it. And I was like, well, this is how I'm going to make myself be on the treadmill. I will use any kind of TV. So like the way I see it is the worse the TV, the better, because I still have the net gain of doing exercise. So I feel free to watch anything I want. I like it. It's like uh, discovered time. Anything during that time is also sanctioned. So. Yeah, nice and legal. <laughs> Who are you most excited to read Wine People? Like when you think about it being out in the world. Mm-hmm. I think just anybody who never thought about this part of business, you know, because a lot of us enjoy wine, you know, to varying degrees. We might like not really care, but just enjoy the occasional glass or you might really love it. Um, but I think there's something fascinating about anybody who never really considered how it got from there to there, you know, and and to discover like what people put into it and how interesting the world really is. So I love that idea. And I'm, I always love the idea of people who actually do know the world getting to read it and see if hopefully it's reflected, you know, and, and that's 
I, I turn to a lot of those people and do a lot of research with them. So I'm excited for them to read it and also always nervous because you hope you got it right. Love it. Next bottle of wine you're going to drink? Any idea? Do you have one queued up for tonight? <laughs> I don't have one queued up for tonight, but I think, actually, I, I have a bottle that I'm holding on to and it's this Italian varietal called Paracone and it's from Sicily. And my friend got it into her store and was like, everybody has to try this. And it is this like beautiful, red, ripe, juicy, like fruity, but it's it's kind of balanced. It doesn't feel like sweet or anything like that. And it's delicious. And every time I pour it for somebody, they're always just like, oh my God, what is this? So I don't know when I'll drink it, but I've got my eye on it. Nice. And actually I bought a bottle for my mom because she had done something for me. And my friend was running out and I was kind of like, do I have to give this bottle to my mom or can I keep it? <laughs> and then I, I sealed myself and I gave it to her before I could keep it for myself. That was very gracious of you. Wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yes, I, felt, was. I felt very generous. <laughs> so many people who I've met since we've, you know, announced your book and all that stuff. So many people are like, I love Michelle or I know Michelle from this or I know Michelle. But like people just flock to you and are such huge fans. No, I'm serious. I, I'm delighted like, to hear I go, Even today on Instagram, somebody like randomly was like, I love Michelle so much. Great. So anyway, I don't know. Your footprint in the world is is vast. If that's well, that makes right me word. happy. I feel like a lot of that, you know, when you work for a literary journal for as long as I did, you work with a lot of different writers and hopefully they had a good time working with you, you know, so I'm going to tell myself that, that that's, that's it. But that's really, that was a lot of the, like the most fun part for me was that I just got to encounter all these incredible writers and work with them on something great. And do you miss that at all? Do you want to go back to food and wine editing or no? Well, I feel like I, I get to do that. I do a lot of freelance editorial work. So I feel like I, I do get to do it. And the only part that I miss about that was that I did get to say at the end of it, and, and here it is, it's coming out, it's being published. And so now as a freelance editor, I don't get to say that, but I do get to hear from the writers when something we worked on together finds a home. So it's the same kind of thing. It just takes a little longer for it to happen. Were there any students of yours or clients or people who wrote essays at Tin House who have gone on to become really big deal, whatever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the first things I worked on back in the day was an essay from Lee Newman. And that was a really oh. long time ago, who, you know, you know well, and I do too. And she's incredible. There's been a lot of them, like Kate Christensen. I worked on some early things with her. And I think she had not really done any food writing before I noticed that in her novel, The Great Man, she wrote about food so well. And so I got in touch with her and said, hey, do you want to write about food? And she said, yes. And she later said, like, oh, no, that's how I started writing these food memoirs because you asked me to. So that's like really wow. exciting for me. Yeah. But there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of really wonderful writers that I worked with who I started maybe early and with them, not because, not because I did anything special. I just noticed that they were incredible and uh, happened to luck out and they went on to become a really big deal. That's awesome. That's really great. Any advice to aspiring authors? Oh, so much advice. I'd say a mix of keep doing what you're doing and always improving your craft. But also one of the helpful things to me about building up a few years in this is that I think you you really benefit from a, a thick skin and a certain amount of distance from all the rejection and all the difficulty. Like it's going to happen. It's not personal. It's just... It's just a difficult industry and the numbers are, you know, mean that you're going to face a lot of rejection. But I did learn from being on the other side of that, that when I did have to reject things, it wasn't because I was like, I despise you as a writer and I want you never to do this again. It was just like, <laughs> don't have room. But as a writer, you feel like, no, you're saying like, I hate you and I want you to never talk to me again. So it was really helpful to me to realize like what that actually looks like on the other side. And it made me a lot more calm about sending things out and, and having a rejection. You're like, okay, well, that's too bad, but I understand you know, where this business is going. So I think you just have to be really resilient. And I guess the other thing I would say is that 
It's so uncertain whether your piece will find a home in the world that you should write really what you want to write because it's the only thing in your control. And we do this for love, right? And we do it because it is, you know, a craft and an art that we adore. So you might as well do it the way you want to do it. And give me a quick visual on your writing process and where your favorite places to write are. Let's see. I can write kind of, I would say almost anywhere as long as I have some white noise on my earbuds. I discovered that like during the pandemic, like a lot of writers, when we were all at home and I was like, okay, I'm just going to download a white noise app and that's how I'm going to ignore everybody wandering around. But I don't have to be in a nice place to work. Somebody once came to like take a photograph of my workstation and I opened the door and they're like, ah, let's pick a different room. So it's just like the, you know, the shades are down and it, it doesn't look anything special. But I do love every now and again, I'm smart enough to book like some kind of like a cabin with a friend and we drive an hour and you just spend a weekend writing there. And I love having the memory of doing that work in that place. So I think I need to do that again. That sounds nice. I'd like to hold myself up in a cabin every so right? Yes. Kind of perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Michelle, I'm so excited. I can't wait for this book to come out. When this airs, it'll be pub day or close to pub day. So congrats. And I hope you're having fun to future you. And uh, thank you for doing this. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm so excited. It was a long time researching and writing and revising. And it's really amazing to have it like actually find people in the world and come out. So thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 